for most women, they have constantly circulating elevated levels of adrenaline. It's it's constant. It's all the time. So we are, our bodies are always getting the message that our life is in danger, and that's a big part of what I want women to understand. We're so capable, but we have to learn ways to communicate to our body the truth, which is that we are thankfully relatively safe. I am a woman on a mission that is dedicated to teaching you just how powerful your body was built to be. I like to do that by bringing you the latest science, the greatest thought leaders, and applicable steps that help you tap into your own internal healing power. The purpose of this podcast is to give you the power back and help you believe in yourself again. My name is Dr. Mindy Pels, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. On this episode of the Resetter podcast, I bring you one of my heroes, Dr. Libby Weaver. This is this is not like any other podcast I bring you. Dr. Libby Weaver, if you are not familiar with her, is uh, wrote a book called The Rushing Woman Syndrome. And as you'll hear in this episode, I uh, found out about her book as I was putting my menopausal journey together, and it changed the way I looked at hormones forever. And I have obsessed on that book. I have reread it. I have uh, highlighted it, marked it up, talked about it. And to meet her was truly an honor. And to be able to hear her teach us how to put her teachings into action in a way that you will walk away from this episode and understand that stress no longer has a hold on you, that you are in control of your thoughts, that you can change your reactions to your rushing life that will therefore have an impact on your hormonal health. So if there was ever an interview that I am overwhelmed to bring you, it would be this one. And I, if you are as touched by this interview as I was having it, I ask that you send this episode out into the world. This information needs to get to more women, and it's coming from such a place of love and such a place of empowerment. So from the bottom of my heart, Dr. Libby Weaver, you are all in for a treat. Hey, Resetters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the Academy. And I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My Academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. By becoming a 
remember, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled. And let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy. Excited to see you there. So let's start with this. I, I do have to tell you the funny story of how I got introduced to your book. So as I was going through my menopausal experience, um, a good friend of mine who's a naturopath in Canada said to me, you know, Mindy, you really need to read Rushing Woman Syndrome. And my first thought was, I don't have time to read that. I don't have time to read books. And then the sheer title of the book, I was like, oh my God, listen to yourself, Mindy. What are you saying? You don't have enough time to read a book called Rushing Woman Syndrome. Maybe you need to read that book. And so sure enough, I didn't read it. And this lovely friend who's a real dear friend of mine came back to me and said, you need to read it. You need to read it. So I finally uh, succumbed and I took it on vacation with me. Um, and I, and I wept when I read it and I just, I just can't thank you enough because the way you wrote it, it spoke to me because you spoke in the language of chemistry and I could see for the first time that just because I was capable to accomplish everything that I wanted to accomplish in my life, that my biochemistry was maybe not built for all that I was doing. So I want to start off by thanking you. And I, and I want to bring our audience into, please help us understand why women are not made to be rushing around. Oh, well, Mindy, I've got goosebumps all over me with you um, with you saying that because the essence of what I want women to understand, and I, I wrote Rushing Woman Syndrome in 2011 and you, you captured it beautifully then. We are so incredibly capable. We, if you really pause to think about it, we would blow our own minds. A, a phrase I sometimes use, if you, if you knew who you truly are, you would be in awe of yourself. We're, we're so incredibly capable. But what I want women to understand is that never ever before in the entirety of human history have we asked our bodies, our, I often call it an earth suit, we've never asked our bodies to actually live like this. And so our bodies are giving us symptoms. Our bodies are giving us feedback about our choices. And some of those symptoms are coming through as we can't sleep, digestive system upsets, real challenges with our sex hormone balance. So it might be uh, the menstrual cycle gets starts to get disrupted or the periods become very heavy and they start flooding, uh, or you might start to bleed for three weeks instead of just a couple of days or one week, or it might be a very difficult transition through menopause. Uh, and so because every everything inside of our body is connected and so much of it begins with the hypothalamus in the center of our brain, the region of our brain that is forever asking, am I safe? And when the hypothalamus looks into our blood, 
asking that question, am I safe? And it's these huge amounts of adrenaline constantly circulating, which, which historically the only time we made adrenaline was when our life was literally in danger, mm-hmm. whereas now we make adrenaline because of, and everyone needs to block their ears right now, we, make it, we, we get adrenaline <laughs> in our blood when we consume caffeine. Sorry, everyone. Yeah, um, right. Well, this is where people decide if they like you or not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll try and redeem myself later. Um, so the caffeine, or, sorry, the adrenaline will be there because of caffeine or because of perceptions of pressure and urgency, because we might be subconsciously worrying about what someone else thinks of us. There's, there's lots of reasons, but essentially it's psychological stress. It's not a physical threat. But when that hypothalamus looks into the blood, sees the adrenaline and says, am I safe? The answer is no, because adrenaline has always meant danger. So then it communicates to the pituitary gland at the base of the brain, we're not safe. And she's the one who then says to the adrenal glands, to the thyroid gland, to the ovaries, we're not safe. You guys need to now make the appropriate hormones for danger. And the trouble is if we did, well, if we, if we only did that for say three hours a week, we'd handle it. But the way we now live is that for most women, they have constantly circulating elevated levels of adrenaline. It's, it's constant. It's all the time. So we are, our bodies are always getting the message that our life is in danger. And that's a big part of what I want women to understand. We're so capable, but we have to learn ways to communicate to our body the truth, which is that we are thankfully relatively safe. Yeah. And, and that, it was so well said, by the way, and I hope our listeners just grab that because I will tell you that uh, when I moved into my early 40s, I was doing the classic like raising two little kids, working all the time, working out all the time, you know, doing being really rigid with my diet. I, my days were very packed. And I all of a sudden, st- exactly what you said, I started not sleeping well. Um, anxiety, depression, things kicked in that I'd never experienced in my life before. And never once uh, until I read your book, did I stop to realize that just because I was capable of doing all these incredible things that were on my schedule throughout a day, that my body was asking me to slow down. My body was asking me to do something different. And it, it, I think it's probably the hardest thing for women to realize because we live in a society that is so programmed to teach us to keep going, to do it all, and to know that biochemically we are not meant to keep that pace up it is really hard for the brain to overcome. Am I the only one that says that? No, <laughs> most people say that, <laughs> but I want to do it all. I want to experience this. Yeah. I don't want to miss out. I have a lot to contribute. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. So, so help. So I've thought about this a lot and I love your Ted talks. Great too, because you talk about the cave woman versus what do you call it? The juggling woman. And I share that with my community a lot, that if we go back to the cave woman days, we walked out of the cave and we were like, okay, what are we going to do today? You know, maybe I had to go find some food, maybe like sit and hang out in it with other women around the cave and talk. We didn't get up, grab the cup of coffee, get on the phone, go, drive the kids to carpool. Like, so, but the modern world is so different right now. How are we going to help women thrive in this world? Because it's, it's like a pace that just takes over if you're not careful. Yeah. So it's, I feel like we've got to take a step back and we need to pause and think, okay, there's very 
and it's really important actually that I acknowledge this at the moment with everything going on in the world, there is very real and genuine stress going on in the world right now and in people's lives. However, there is also a huge amount of stress we create for ourselves because of how we think. And that's the part we can change. So that's what I'm interested in. What we can't change, okay, we leave that. It's about addressing what we can change. So, and what we forget is that, sorry, we think that our stress comes from everything outside of us. We think it's because of the to-do list or that person or that colleague or that, that particular situation. And what I think we've really lost sight of is that it's actually our response to the to-do list, the person, the situation. We forget that. And we forget that we get to choose how we see all of that. Now, I'll, I'll give you some examples. So, we feel like we get to a point when we feel like everything is urgent and the to-do list is massive and we've got our schedule is back to back. We've got to be here, then there. We can't be late for that. We've got to drop this person there. Before we drop that person there, we've got to prepare these four things. It's It can feel so relentless. Now, I was the guest speaker at a conference and it was for the Hereditary Breast and Ovarian Cancer Society. So that room was filled with women who had either been told they had the gene for breast and or ovarian cancer or they had one of those cancers or they were cancer thrivers. They'd once had one of those cancers and they were now free of it. And I was at the conference for the whole day and across the day people individually came up to ask me questions about different things and I often still I often have questions of my own. It's one of the ways I continue to learn. So if you can imagine that as these women approach me and share their stories, they would share things like I have an unknown prognosis or I have a very poor prognosis. I uh, can't work because I'm suffering so much with my treatment. So there was financial challenges. My marriage is broken down. I've got teenage children. They're a nightmare. So I was getting stories like that where these women were facing all of life's truly biggest, toughest things all at once, including a question mark around their own mortality. And when I asked them if they felt like they were living with a world full of stress and pressure and urgency, all of them said no. And the essence of what they communicated back to me that day was that they just felt so privileged to be alive. Mm. So we don't want it to be some kind of health crisis that gets us back in touch with, although it's challenging at times, it's also magnificent. And a little distinction I made that day was it's not that we have to do that, then that, then that. It's that we get to. We get to do this Mm. stuff while we get our turn on earth. So we get to be here on earth and run around and do all of this stuff, and it's a ridiculous privilege. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not busy, and that doesn't mean that there's not a lot on our plates. It doesn't mean that we don't have responsibility. We have all of that. So, so much, I think, of starting to make this shift away from that rushing woman syndrome type scenario is the way we examine it. So to do that, we as women, I think it's, I'm really tired of the conversation around, oh, I'm so stressed, how do I manage that? We need that conversation, but we've got to take it further now. We've got to start to examine what stress really is for us as individuals. So let's start to break that down. What leads your body to produce adrenaline and cortisol, our two main stress hormones? Well, unfortunately, we talked about caffeine. So a lot, but in all honesty, a lot of women have got to get really honest with themselves about how much they're having. They need to cut back. Some women would do very, they'd feel much better if they took a big break from it. So we've got to look at caffeine. 
The next thing is we've got to look at our perceptions of pressure and urgency, like I just described, because we forget that we get to choose how we see and approach each day. Now, I'm not denying for a second there aren't things that aren't urgent. Of course there are. If you get a phone call from school and your child's been injured, that's urgent. You want to get there as quickly as you can. But we've made what we do each day full of stress and pressure and urgency. I'll give you another example. When I say to women, tell me what stresses you out, I often hear running late. Mm -hmm. Now, running late doesn't worry everyone. Some people will be half an hour late and they they don't care. So that's how I know it's not a real stress. It's a perception. Now, there's no, there's no judgment here. There's no right or wrong. It's just some people get stressed about running late. Now, sometimes they don't want to run late because they're worried about missing out on a meeting starting or learning something at a conference. They don't want to be late. But when it's not that, it's usually because it's not the running late itself that stresses us out. If you pull the curtain back on that, what we see is that we're actually worried about what the person who will be on the receiving end of our running late is going to think of us. Mm. And they'll think that we are inefficient or not hardworking or we don't care. Some, it's some sort of disapproval. We're worried that, but we don't see it like that in the moment. It's just we're sitting in the traffic all stressed because we're running late. And when we just sit there going, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed, we go blind to any kind of insight that our stress could actually teach us. And it's that, oh, wow, I can really see I'm actually not worried about what my boss thinks of me because I'm running late for this work meeting. It's this other colleague. Wow, that's fascinating. I'm worried what that colleague thinks of me. Oh, yeah, I can see that she thinks, I worry that she thinks that I'm not a hard worker. And so there's an exercise I have that I that I do um, with women at I run women's health weekends and things like that. And there's an exercise I do where I, and I call it our forward words. And it's, so what traits do you need other people to see in you? So it's as if we've got these words written across our forehead. So how do you need other people to see you? And it's a great thing to do if you just take pen and paper and and take 10 minutes and ask yourself, how do I need others to see me? And common things that come out of the mouths of the most beautiful hearted women who are the rushing women They'll say, I need people to see me as kind, thoughtful, uh, selfless, hardworking, deeply caring, or it might be independent, intelligent, creative, hilarious, perfect, or the biggest ray of sunshine that ever walked into a room. So it doesn't matter what they are. You just want to know how you need other people to see you. And so then the next time you're stressed, You pause and you think, okay, am I perceiving that someone is seeing me in the opposite way to one of my forehead words? Because most of the time the answer will be yes. So, so much of the beauty of our caring that comes from the rushing woman syndrome, which is not a medical condition, I might add, it was just the name of my book. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's well titled, well titled. (laughs) It's that we're worried about essentially that they think we're a good person. And it comes because where most women are raised to be good girls. We're raised to put the needs of others ahead of ourselves. We're raised to check in on everybody and make sure they're all that everyone's okay. Uh, so we have these inbuilt mechanisms that were set up to ensure uh, that we are loved and approved of uh, when we are little humans, which I can dive into more if we want to do that at some point down the track, but it's another big story. So yes. let me just take pause here and say it's it's very helpful to 
when we feel caught in that rushing woman syndrome, instead of just thinking, I'm so stressed and that's just how life is now, we want to pause and start to work out what stress really is for us. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that. That is a better conversation because I do feel like when somebody says you just need to not stress, that's actually stressful onto itself. Yeah. Like, I yeah. don't know. I personally don't know what that means. I have tools that I can move stress through me, but when somebody says stop stressing, I'm like, I don't know what that means. So that's, that's incredible. So, okay, well, let's go back to your driving to work. You're running late. You've got your four, your forehead words and you're like, yeah, I'm worried. They're going to think that I'm a slacker and I'm now late. And maybe I've been late a couple of times. So they're probably going to think I'm a slacker. That's probably what's going to happen. Well, what do you do in that scenario? If you really truly believe what your brain is telling you. So because you can see that it's essentially coming from your desire to be approved of, it changes the conversation. So then when you get there and you're late, instead of bursting in all stressed, you know, sort of a bit dramatic and and, and apologetic, of course we still apologise for being late, but whoever you can see that you're worried that they think you're a slacker, after the meeting you might decide I'm going to go and have a conversation with them and actually speak about this and bring this to life because otherwise it just sits in my head and I ruminate on it and I worry and I've, I, I have probably made all of it up. It's probably just a great big story I've created. However, if I go and have the conversation with my boss or with, with my colleague and say, look, I'm, I know I've run late a couple of times for meetings this year. It really worries me. You think I'm a slacker. It's incredibly important to me that you know I'm a really hard worker. I care very much about my job. I value my job. So you, you speak your truth to the person. And most people on the receiving end of that are going to go, wow, thank you for saying that. That means a lot to me that you care so much about your job. I was a little bit worried about you being late for these couple of meetings, but I can see, you know, you've just had a couple of things go wrong. You've had, you know, children have needed your attention or there's whatever it's whatever has occurred. And so you just bring it all out in the open. And it gives the other person an opportunity to say, well, I do find it, you know, if they really are, if there's truth in your perception that they think you're a slacker, well, you've opened up a dialogue that allows them to say, well, I have actually been concerned about your work ethic. So Mm. thank you for bringing this up and let's continue to talk about it. You need to tell me where you're struggling. And so it just opens up a conversation rather than us all just sitting there in our minds, either consciously or unconsciously, worrying about all of this stuff that, and most of, most of it we make up. Yeah, of course. Yeah, for sure. So if I'm sitting in traffic, maybe I could go into the solution. If I could acknowledge what the, I'm worried, I'm stressed right now because I think they're going to, they're, they're going to think I'm a slacker. Well, what am I going to do to solve that after the meeting? I'm going to have a talk. Now you're bringing cortisol down. You're still in traffic. You're still rushing to the event, but your cortisol uh, reaction is different. That's exactly right. Because the minute you've got a solution, the minute you realize this is not going to be permanent, the minute you can see a a way through this where you can come back to a place of equilibrium where you think it'll either clear the air or they'll, they'll approve of me again if there is a risk that they're disapproving of you. And so with that, instantly your stress hormone levels start to come down because it it's like a degree of safety comes back into your chemistry. Yeah. 
Oh, that's, that, that's brilliant. I love that. So now what I'm thinking, actually, and I'm going to go back to my friend who recommended your book, is I'm thinking if you're going from event to event throughout the day and you love it and you're happy, is that it doesn't matter. You could be you could have a very full day of a lot of fun things. That would not be what is rushing woman. Rushing woman really has a stress component to it where she's going from thing to thing to thing, feeling exhausted and stressed out. And it's when, yes, and because she's coming from a place of, she may not see it on the surface, but we're doing too much out of obligation. And when we do it out, when we do things out of a sense of duty, it's very depleting. Mm -hmm. When we do things from a sense of love or, or, or of true, authentic contribution, as in it's arisen from your heart, it's arisen from your soul that you really want to do this. It's very energizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when we do sure. things out of duty, when we do it out of duty, it's very depleting. And when we do things out of duty, again, sorry to sound like a broken record, but we are so often doing it out of duty. I don't mean just once or twice, but when we live our lives like this, it's because we want people to see us in a particular way. I can't, I can't see it any other way. Yeah, no, it makes, it makes perfect sense. I actually had uh, interviewed Bruce Lipton last week on my podcast and he talked, yeah, he, and this might be interesting to kind of understand some of the programming maybe we got around being a rushing woman because his belief system is that your subconscious programming, it becomes fully formed from zero to seven, that you are living in a state of more of a, of a hypnotic theta wave state. So the messages that get implanted from zero to seven will determine your behaviors for the rest of your life. Is the same with rushing? Do we watch the rushing people around us when we're younger and then make a decision of how we're going to approach life and stress? The way I see it is that as little babies, we can't survive on our own. Other animals can, whereas humans need adults to provide them with food, clothing and shelter so that we can literally survive. And when we're little babies and we're hungry and someone gives us food and alleviates that, it's like a return to equilibrium. It's a return to safety. If we're cold and someone gives us a blanket, we're warm again, it's the same thing. So we start to link the provision of those physical things, food, clothing, shelter, we start to link the provision of those things to us feeling safe, warm, satisfied, essentially in balance in our chemistry. And so then as we get a little bit older, we start to work out that we we rely on, we can't do that ourselves and we rely on those adults to do that for us. So we must maintain their favour. We must have them approve of us enough to continue to provide that. Otherwise, we will literally die because without food, clothing and shelter, a little baby dies. Now, eventually, I think what happens is that we start to link the provision of those things and the attention of those people, we start to link that to what, as adults, we probably call love. I still, I don't often use the word love because I think a lot of people misinterpret it to be intimate love and I'm. it can be part of it, but I'm more about I'm talking more about the approval of others, including the approval of the people who raised us. So we start to learn, we, we try things on as little, as little children, not in manipulative ways, we're just doing what we're doing to try to get our needs met. And we start to work out that if we behave, if we help, for example, if we help the adult, they smile. 
if we uh, do as if if we notice our mother is she cleans up a lot and so we start to clean up a lot she mm-hmm. that makes her smile so there's approval there sometimes it's conscious but mostly it's not conscious you might have done a finger painting and then you notice your dad is smiling and laughing and he looks really jovial you don't understand that dad's smiling and laughing and jovial because of whatever he's thinking about or whatever's just gone on in his life you link it to what you've just done because when we're tiny humans from an emotional maturation perspective we're egocentric some people never change sadly but when we're little we're (laughs) egocentric and we're supposed to be egocentric and all that means is that we we believe that everyone in our world is the way they are because of us So when they're happy, it's because of what we've just done, like the finger painting. But unfortunately, the same thing is true when the adults in our world are not in a good place. So they might be loud and aggressive. They might be very quiet and withdrawn. And and that's a behaviour change away from the way they consistently are. So when they don't behave in a consistent way, we don't have any ability to see that the adults in our world are behaving like that, quiet and withdrawn or loud and aggressive because of what they're perceiving, because of their pain and their joys up until that point in time. When you're four years old and let's say normally dad gets home from work and the first thing he does is he picks you up and plays with you and tickles you and he's always done it and you love it. And then one day he doesn't and he comes through the door and very sternly and intensely he says, go to your room. And so you do as you're told and you can hear your parents in the kitchen, they're arguing, they're yelling, there's fists being bashed on tables you can't see when you're four that that's going on because he was just made redundant and he doesn't know how on earth he's going to pay for your education, for example. Mm. All you know is that it feels confusing, uncertain, might be a little bit scary for you to be ostracised from this person who normally plays with you at this time of the day and there's loud voices and that's incongruent to the human you know, in this case, your dad to be. So in that, because we're egocentric, the way, the way our nervous system is constructed at, at that point in our life, we can't see that they're behaving the way they are because of them. The only thing you can do is turn it on yourself and work out who you must be to have them behave like that So mm. because you're egocentric. So you create a belief in your own deficiency. So you start to believe there's something wrong with you. So the way I take it is that before the age of seven, we have created a belief or many beliefs that we are not enough in some way. We're not good enough in some way, not tall enough, not pretty enough, not smart enough, not loud enough, not quiet enough, just not enough, not good enough the way that we are. And then as soon as a belief form, we don't sit there and we don't sit there when we're four and go, oh, that belief will be fantastically dysfunctional when I'm 52. I'll pick that belief. (laughs) We don't do that. (laughs) We, we absorb the belief trying to understand our environment, no matter how calm or chaotic it was when we were growing up. And then we don't realise that we've taken that on as a belief. And what your brain does, we have a part of the brain called the reticular activating system. It goes looking for evidence of what we believe. But because you don't know you have that belief, you don't know that you're now finding evidence of all the ways you're not good enough. Mm. But that's, and then we just stack it up. And then that's our experience across our across our whole life. It's as if we... Between the age of zero and seven, we put a set of glasses on and we look out upon the world through these lenses that are filled with all the beliefs we've absorbed about ourselves. And we do the same with the with what we hear. We don't hear what people say. We hear what we think someone mm. meant. 
Mm. So when a colleague rings us and says, where's that work? I needed it yesterday. We hear their request for work, but usually what we do is we make up some kind of story. Oh, they think I'm lazy or they think I'm not a hard worker. So we, but they didn't say that, but we make, and that's what makes the request Mm. for the work stressful. And all of that, I think, gets created when we're very young in the way Bruce talks about essentially it all it it becomes it lands in our subconscious all these beliefs about ourselves and then we just find evidence of it and create all these stories when we're adults about how things are and it's not it's our perception but we don't realize it's our perception wow that was so beautifully said so we will continue to make ourselves right and i'm also thinking when things like anxiety kick in which is a very common symptom we're seeing more and more at younger and younger ages is that because you are your brain is continually looking for the evidence that you're not enough and it just yeah. keeps finding it finding it finding it yeah, yeah 100% i shouldn't say 100% i think that's a huge part of it I also think our, so I think psychologically, it's very much along those lines. We look for evidence of all the ways we're not enough. We we don't realise we have forward words and we don't realise that we are worrying about what other people think of us. Until you bring, shine light on that, you we don't usually realise that's what we're doing. And then, I, so that's the, the, I guess, part of the psychology of it all, part, part of the emotional side of it all. But then I really think that what is not acknowledged enough when we talk about anxiety is the biochemistry of it. So adrenaline is the main hormone behind anxious feelings. So we have to look at what leads that person to have all of that adrenaline circulating. Is it the caffeine? Is it their perceptions of urgency? Is it that they are so worried about what other people think of them? Do you know, I... I wrote a book a couple of or two, three, two years ago now called The Invisible Load, and I did some focus groups uh, as part of my research for writing that book. And one of the so I did focus groups with women aged between 18 and 25 and asked them what were the things that stressed them out the most. And the top two things that stressed that age group out most was their body image and social media. And when I share that with older groups, they often laugh and I can see the judgment that they pass on the younger people. And I'll, and I will giggle at them and say, hang on, because when I interviewed women, the 35 to 45 year old age group, when they sit, the things that stressed them out the most were things like making sure everyone was happy, how many tasks they had in a day, things like running late. And when you peel all of it back, this is where you get to see that it's all the same stuff. So our stress can be the most magnificent teacher to us mm. if we allow it to be because it is, it's where you get to see the ways you allow or where you allow others to judge you essentially. So when someone says to me something like Instagram stresses them out, it's because they are using Instagram as a way to gain popularity, to see what people think of them, how many likes they get, the comments they get. Whereas when I say that to older groups, they'll say, how could Instagram stress anyone out? I, you know, I get inspired by it or I am entertained by it. I watch funny dog videos or whatever. So that's what I mean, that it's not the thing that stresses us out. It's our response to it. Yeah, it's beautiful. And so it's the, it, it, our stress can show us, it, we can learn so much from it about these perceptions that are really quite hidden and they're really quite slippery. Our our beliefs, 
I think, are very slippery to identify because they're all tied up in our language and we can't hear that it's a belief because we think it's real. Like the way Bruce Lipton says, we say these things because we perceive it's how it is, but it's but it's but it's perception. Yeah. So, so how do we undo this? We've got, I mean, for women, we've got a world of infertilities on the rise. PCOS is the number one most common hormonal imbalance. I mean, when I spoke out on public platforms to talk about menopause, I can't tell you the number of women that were like, can we talk about this? Like all we're taught is to medicate ourselves through menopause and I don't want to do that. What else can I do? And so we've got these hormonal imbalances. And then as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking, okay, but then we have these beliefs we're carrying from childhood that are perpetuating the hormonal imbalances how do we change those beliefs? Acknowledging them is a great start. And there's got to be a gap between what what people are hearing you say right now and these massive hormonal imbalances. How do we start to address this so we can bring those imbalances down? So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at-home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man, one of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. Great question. Because along those lines, Mindy, the other thing other than adrenaline that can lead us into anxiety is very low progesterone, as I'm sure you and your listeners are very aware of, because progesterone is a powerful anti-anxiety agent and we only produce it in large amounts after we ovulate. And so when someone has polycystic ovarian syndrome or when they're moving into perimenopause and they stop ovulating every month and then, of course, postmenopausally, there's no more ovulation, we're obviously still going to make a small amount of progesterone from a couple of the adrenal glands mostly. But that progesterone is incredibly protective against feeling overwhelmed and, 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 and too many anxious feelings. And, and again, that's something I think that is just not talked about enough. Agreed. And also, and also for women, uh, when you've 
when they use the birth control pill, they, a lot of women don't understand that that stops. The reason it's so good at preventing pregnancy is it stops you ovulating. So it stops you having that lovely big surge of progesterone. So there's, that's another whole can of worms. But anyway, um, so, yes, it is. <laughs> so to come back to, um, so with the hormonal imbalances, a big focus obviously is making sure so that we feel good. A big part of it obviously is making sure there is enough progesterone um, there while ever menstruation is occurring. But then postmenopausally, as you say, we're just going to get the, the, the beliefs can influence so much and make us feel like almost that our life is threatened every single day. And so, yes, awareness is the first step. But then what we want to do is we want to, I call it catching ourselves in the act. And we can't always do that because life does move pretty quickly. But I, the way I'll often describe it is it's as if, and this is what I, this is how we can start to shift the actions we take and the way that we think is if we understand that there are, at this point in human evolution, there are two thought systems. So the first thought system, I often call it the old brain, the first thought system. It's been there for the entirety of human history. And then our, there's another thought system which has come in later in our evolution as a species, and it is, I just call it the new brain. So in any given moment, at the moment, our old brain works at warp speed. It works faster than you can click your fingers. It's automatic, but it's unconscious. We don't know that it has generated, that it's run itself, and we don't know that it has created. It creates a feeling. And it's very, very helpful if you're, let's say you're, you've been out uh, for dinner and you don't live far from wherever you've been out for dinner, not that everyone can go out for dinner at the moment, but um, you've been out for dinner in, in the wonderful world when we can go out for dinner and you think, oh, it's it's midnight, but it doesn't matter. I just want to walk home. It's a beautiful evening. And then you realise that you read recently that crime statistics have escalated. And so you're walking home and you start thinking, oh, maybe it wasn't a good idea to walk home. And can I hear footsteps behind me? And I read those stats not that long ago and it was not good. Oh, dear, maybe this wasn't very sensible. And then suddenly your old, if you do hear footsteps behind you, your old brain will just make you run away from that and that's what it's there to do. It's brilliant. You don't want to, you actually don't want to use your new brain, which is very conscious and logical and analytical. You don't want that in that moment. You want old brain to just make you run. But other than those sorts of life and death situations, our old brain can cause a bit of, can cause us a few challenges now. So I'll give you a modern day scenario. You're in the supermarket and you've got a trolley and there's a lady walking towards you. Her name's Mrs. Smith. You know her, not that well, but you know her enough to say hello to. And what you described to me happens is Mrs. Smith puts her head down and she marches straight past me. So in that moment, your old brain usually go, it'll it'll run one of the patterns you or one of the beliefs you absorbed as a little human. So your old brain, without you knowing, because it's unconscious, will go, Mrs. Smith doesn't like me. I've let Mrs. Smith down. Our kids are at school mm-hmm. together. They've probably had a fight. She thinks I'm the world's worst parent. Mrs. It's some form of Mrs. Smith is disapproving of me. But you don't stand there in the supermarket and consciously think that. You just notice that when you leave the supermarket, you're irritated or you're really sad or your energy is through the floor. So when you know, and this is what I mean about catching yourself in the act. So then you, when you notice a shift in your state, 
you want to bring curiosity to that and think, okay, I feel really flapped. What could have led to that? Is my blood sugar through the floor and it's actually time for lunch and I need to eat because that will make someone feel flat? Or is it emotional? Oh, yes, I, that's right. I passed Mrs. Smith in the supermarket and she didn't speak to me. Oh, that's hurt my feelings. Oh, that's made me worry that I've upset her in some way. So now you're bringing your new thought system. You're bringing uh, the new brain in to analyse that, okay, well, I haven't seen Mrs. Smith for three weeks, so I can't see how I've upset her, but maybe I should bake her a cake, a nutritious cake, a chocolate beetroot mud cake or something nutritious. I should bake her a cake and I'll go around and see Mrs. Smith and check in on her because she really actually looked like she had the weight of the world on her shoulders. And then when you go around and see Mrs. Smith, she said, oh, so embarrassed to see anyone I knew. I hadn't had a shower that day or I had a big pimple on my face or I didn't have makeup on or whatever her value system is. It's got nothing to do with you. But that's what I also mean when we often still live our lives as if we are a bit egocentric. We think that Mrs. Smith spoke to us because of us. When Mrs. Smith won't have spoken to us, you know, 99 times out of 100 because of what's going on for her. So we can start to shift it when we catch our thought systems in the act because in that moment in the supermarket, we can either run the pathway of the old brain going, I've let Mrs. Smith down, Mrs. Smith doesn't like me, she thinks I'm a dreadful person, or we can go, okay, Mrs. Smith looked like she had the weight of the world on her shoulders, I I need to go and check in on her. And now whatever you do in that moment, if it's old brain that you run with or if you remember that you have this new brain thought system to apply, whatever you do in that moment, I don't so much mind, well, I do, but what I want people to really understand is what happens when you let the old brain live as if that's the truth. Mm. Because if you create a meaning from Mrs. Smith not talking to you in the supermarket, if you create a meaning that you're not enough, you're not good enough, she doesn't like you, you've let her down, she thinks you're the world's worst parent, so some form of disapproval. If you do that from someone not speaking to you, I will guarantee you you've done it 20 times previously that morning and you'll do it 20 more times that afternoon. And when we stack experiences, when we stack meanings and stories of all the ways that we're not good enough, when we scratch the itch of our not enoughness 40 or 100 times a day, good luck at resisting whatever your poison is at the end of the day. So you'll go home. If you love, we call them biscuits. If you love cookies, you'll eat a whole packet. If you love ice cream, you'll eat the whole tub. If you think I'm just going to have one glass of wine before you know it, you've had the whole bottle. So I think this is one massive reason why it's easier to make nutritious choices at the start of the day than it is at the end of the day, because at the end of the day, we've had all these experiences that we don't even realize what our brain has done and all the stories and all the meanings we've made up about he said that, that means that. (laughs) We don't even realise we've done that. So if you let in in that supermarket, if you let old brain do its thing and you aren't aware that it's done its thing other than that you feel sad or irritated when you're leaving the supermarket, it it will lead you to make poor quality choices because you know, for for the next day, for the next week or for the next 10 years. And it, w- it will run your life until you shine light on it. Whereas if you if you let your old brain run its story for five minutes before you think, oh, hang on, no, actually Mrs. Smith did look like she had a lot of things on her mind. I need to go around and check in on her. You've immediately shifted your focus to the care for someone else. 
you're no longer putting yourself down, you're no longer thinking about all the ways you're not enough and all the ways she's disapproving of you. And so your stress response is alleviated because now you're caring. And we can't do care and gratitude at the same time that we do stress stress hormones. That it's, it's not possible for your nervous system to do both those things at the same time. So it's it's awareness, but it's all that that we do this and that these beliefs are there, but it's catching ourselves in the act. And a shift in our mood, I think, is one of the biggest clues we get. And we don't always have the time in that moment to dive into it, but it's very helpful towards the end of the day if you can pause and think, okay, what really went on there? Yeah, and it's just repetition. So it's it's yeah. listening to yourself, not and just catching that moment. And if you do that over and over and over again, eventually you create a new brain. Yeah. yeah. And, and each, you, each yeah. time, go ahead. No, you go. Each time you stop that. So if I'm running the tape of Mrs. Smith, cortisol is going through my body and I'm, and I'm in maybe, I call it the rabbit hole where you go, well, if this is going to go on, then this is going to go on. And then this is going to go on. And you start down like 10 thought patterns that have nothing to do with whatever happened in the situation. So as long as you're running, running that old brain and you're in that old stress pattern, you've got cortisol going up. And when cortisol is going up, progesterone is going down. And so now if you want to stop cortisol immediately, you can stop it by asking a different question and evaluating where that initial thought came from. Is that correct? hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Okay. And it's, it's breathtaking when, when you do it, you, when you do it enough, you then start to laugh at yourself because your old brain will still do it, but you see the truth very quickly. It's how long we let the old brain run its pattern. You want the truth to, you want to see the truth as quickly as you can. Amazing. So, okay, let's talk about progesterone for a second, because that was the other aha that I got from your book. You know, as I was reading it, I was, I think at the time I must've been about 45 years old and I had never really given progesterone a single thought. And I was like laughing to myself. I'm like, oh my God, this hormone, it's shown up for me every month and I didn't even acknowledge it. And now it's going away and I really like it back. Like, what did I do? And so I really dove into looking at a, and at the at the time I was um, having a regular cycle and I started looking at, okay, when does estrogen come in in a 30-day cycle or a 28-day cycle for a woman? Estrogen's coming in the, in the first part and then it often ovulation, we've got estrogen and testosterone, a little bit of progesterone, but it's really as we go into the week before our periods that we've got maximum progesterone. So would it be, is there a lifestyle that should shift as our hormones shift? Like I started looking at my marathon running. Maybe I'm not supposed to marathon run the week before my cycle. Maybe I'm not, maybe I need a little extra sleep. Like I started obsessing on progesterone and going where, what are all the habits I can do to be able to project, protect progesterone? Do you think that we can analyze our lifestyle from looking at our cycle and, and figuring out where we may want to slow down and when it would be okay to rush a little more? Absolutely. So beautifully articulated, Mindy. Yes, 100%. And we find that usually a lot of women will find that uh, in the first half of their cycle, everything's more robust. 
because estrogen is dominant. She's laying the lining of the uterus down. We make a small amount of progesterone from the adrenals in that first half of the cycle, as you described. And then once ovulation kicks in, yes, you'll get the, the, all the beautiful protective effects of progesterone if you're a good, if you are good at producing it after you ovulate, because yes. not a lot of women are these yes. days, unfortunately. Uh, yes. And uh, but then in the week before the period, obviously uh, estrogen, progesterone, progesterone is supposed to be the dominant hormone leading into the cycle, and estrogen. Uh, is less than that from a ratio perspective. And obviously we start to menstruate once the progesterone is low enough. But the in, in that lead up for so many women, they are estrogen dominant. There's too much estrogen compared to progesterone, particularly in that week leading into the menstrual cycle quite often for women. And that's one of the hormonal basis for PMT or do you call it PMS? I always PMS is what we yeah. call it, yeah. <laughs> PMS, um, so uh, that's one of the hormonal bases for that. And we start to notice that we just don't have the strength that we normally do. We don't have the endurance we normally do in an earlier part of the month. So I think it's a brilliant thing to, if you are still menstruating, I think it's a brilliant thing to observe that. And your body is your most magnificent barometer. So your cycle, I think, is great feedback about your choices it gives you insight into if your body wants you to make some different choices in the way that you eat or drink or move or think or breathe or believe or perceive. So it's all feedback in any or a number of those areas. Uh, and and we, we usually notice, well, most women notice they're far more robust and can get more done, that the rushing is less intrusive on their chemistry for the first two weeks of the cycle is, is yeah. the feedback I've had. Yeah. Yeah. So, and. And that was, as I was moving through menopause, the interesting part is around 45, 46, I started getting some spotting and then it would be like a week after I started getting spotting, then my cycle would start and I started to unpack that. And I was like, okay, that's low progesterone. Okay. What do I need to start to mind progesterone? So I, I changed my workouts. I changed the way I ate. I started saying no to things a little bit more. I took a little more downtime for the first time in my life. I was tracking my cycle. Here I was in my late forties, like track, you know, I had the clue app on my phone and you know what happened? My cycle came back and it came back calm and easy. Here I am at 51. There's no sign of menopause. I'm like, you know, and I and from what I've understood, 52 to 55 is a very natural time to go through menopause. If we go through it earlier, it could be due to environmental stressors. But it was this one hormone, progesterone, I, that changed everything when I minded that. I have, I run a nine week online course for women and some of them will have got, they, they've been told that they are postmenopausal. They might be 48 or 49 years old. And after nine weeks of doing, of looking after their lifestyle, their food, what they're, they're thinking after eight or nine weeks of that, they get their period back yeah. and it comes back yeah. and it stays cyclical. And yeah. that's, it shows you the wisdom of the body. It shows you that when the body gets what it needs, it can do what it wants to do for usually for a lot longer in a, in a really healthy state. Yeah. Isn't and it powerful? Yeah. 
Oh, it's amazing. I, in fact, in my book, um, and I'll send you a copy because uh, again, I, I quote you in it and you were instrumental in this concept around progesterone. But I, I, I started to really identify the title I put for progesterone as I said, uh, dear progesterone, I'm sorry I took you for granted. Because I, I just, brilliant. I was just like, that's how I felt. Like I just wanted to have a conversation with the progesterone production and just go, gosh, I just didn't honor what my body needed. And I just pushed on through and now I'm really regretting it because I'd like a little progesterone back. You know, the cycle is one thing, but the calmness that progesterone gives you is incredible. And I think we don't, as women, and I'm curious your thought on this, I don't think we know our hormones well. They're running us and we have no idea what hormones do what and when they come or go. And the... And we need to know, obviously, and the young, we need to know at really young ages. It's heartbreaking, it's heartbreaking to me that an, ex, an, excess, an excess of estrogen has a very depressant action on the body. And most women don't know that. So it's, it's the first thing I would look for when I would go look at estro, excess of estrogen and low progesterone because it's such a powerful anti-anxiety agent and an antidepressant. I'm going to go looking in a menstruating woman for excess estrogen and low progesterone to see if that's what's, and try to address that to see if that changes what's happening with her mood. And that's not talked about enough. No. So the younger the younger and younger we can teach women, young girls, even the role that these hormones play, I think the, the better, the healthier society will be because we're going to understand, oh, it's not a deficiency of a particular medication that has led me to this state. My progesterone's dropped away because I've been so stressed. I need to address the stress and my body will naturally start to produce progesterone better again. Yeah. Yeah. And and you mentioned that in your TED talk, how the mission you're on to get this message out to women. And I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. And I, I, I probably have sent hundreds of thousands of women to your book because I'm like, we need to wake up. And then we also need to come together as women. If you look at the power of oxytocin on all our hormones, it, when we are in community and we're connecting and we're in love and we're in gratitude, we are bursting oxytocin oxytocin into every cell and there's no better hormonal balance than getting yourself a bunch of oxytocin. So, right? Absolutely. Yes. So it's like the queen hormone. I tell everybody, oh, when you're stressed, just go pet your dog and you'll be good. So it's awesome. It is. Well, let, let me finish up with this. I could talk to you forever and I just, Same. <laughs> just really have a lot of appreciation for your heart and your mind and the way you explain things and just the impact you are having on women's health. And I want to bring this information to more women. And especially that I, I resonate with what you say about the younger generation. I just, I feel like I want to take every teenager and sit her down and explain these hormones and teach her how her lifestyle is going to uh, affect these hormones and how the hormones are going to affect her mood. Like we could change women's health just from the knowledge of hormones alone. Don't you think? Yes. And then we've got to throw in the not enoughness and addressing that in younger people, because it's when you grow up thinking that there's something wrong with you and you grow up thinking that you're not okay the way that you are, it's like a, a, a perm, a very deep stress that never really fully goes away. So I feel that that has to be brought to light as well. And we've got to change yeah, the, those perceptions, if that's possible, because I, I then get into the, I try to delve into everything and get right to its centre and I think, okay, well, if all of us grow up 
you know, no matter how calm or how chaotic it is in our home environments when we're growing up, if we all develop this belief that we're not enough in some way, then it must serve us. And I think our voids, I think, end up creating our values. And so I think quite often when the, the belief, when the wound is there and the belief forms, we do sometimes do really good things in the world. Yes. <laughs> because we're trying to alleviate the suffering of others. So I can also see the good that comes from it. <laughs> so, That's like a, it's a, hor- we could look at it like a hormetic stress. It's like a yeah, little, you know, it, you. Yeah, right. it, it's like enough to just motivate you a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. that's awesome. Okay. I have five questions for you. These are okay. my rapid fire questions. Um, and so let me start with, Ooh, this is a good one. Let me start with my first one. Okay. If you could go and chat with your 25 year old self and give her advice, I, and we, I chose 25 because that's usually about the age that you're starting your, your career and your life. What would you tell your 25 year old self about how to live life? That it's all for you, that life happens for you. It's not happening to you. So even the big, tough stuff that can unfold, all of it's for you. I love that. Okay. And what, what do you personally do to stop the rushing? So when you have, when you're doing back-to-back podcast interviews and you're, um, you've, you've got a week that's full, do you have strategies that you personally take on that stops the rushing? I see the privilege in it. I see that I, have I got the ridiculous privilege of getting an education and all of this sort of information is wasted if it's not shared. So I am forever I, I forever address my thinking and uh and see that I've chosen this and that I am insanely grateful for the life that I have and to be able to do this work in the world. Uh if I can't overcome it with with that sort of thinking I know there's more to it and I know that there's something I'm about to learn from, you know, um, it might be one particular thing I've got happening later in the day and it's that that I'm really worried about and I can see that there's not an authentic connection with the person I've got to have a meeting with or maybe I've got to be really courageous and say something that I'm going to find really hard to say because it might mean that they don't think that I'm a kind person or something like that. So if I can't overcome it with seeing that it's a gift and that I've chosen it and the privilege in it, I think, okay, well, there's something I've got to learn here with whatever it is that I can see is still stressing me out. The other thing I will say is I have, I I love the mornings. I get up very early Mm. and I go outside and I look at everything. I look at the light. I look at, there might be cobwebs that the you know, dew has settled in overnight and I look at the patterns and I look at the sky and the trees and so I very much um, have space in the morning to, and I feel it doesn't change what I do in a day, but it will change how I can show up for it Mm -hmm. with a bigger sense of spaciousness that helps massively. You know, that was one of the real tricks I used when my kids were little is I started to see that there was no time for me and so I thought, well, I'm going to make time for me and it's going to be in the morning before everybody gets up. And it really is profound when you start the day the way you want to start it. it Isn't it? It, Isn't it, it really changes everything because you don't just get up and do everybody else's agenda. Exactly. Yeah, yep. it's amazing. <laughs> do you have a sign that you know, like a physiological sign that you're like, okay, I got to put the brakes on life right now. I've been doing too much. 
Um, I need to sort of reground myself. Do you have any physical signs in your own body that you notice? Like it's, you've gone off into more of a rushing world. Yeah. My heart will race and I don't know what it's about. So it'll, it might only be for 10 seconds, but I can feel an escalation in my heart rate just momentarily. And it, then it goes away and I'm like, no, I got you. I noticed. <laughs> and so I'll try and yeah, change, you know, might go to bed earlier. Um, I might need to write. I, I write, I love writing. So I might need to just write in my journal and get a few things off my chest to, so I can see the truth of something or, yeah. So it's, it's my heart will race. That's my physical sign. Yeah. Mm. That's beautiful. Okay. What book do you think outside of yours? Cause when people ask me this question, I always say your book. Um, <laughs> what book do you think every woman needs to read or that would be incredibly impactful for women to read to help her understand herself better? Red Hot and Holy by Sarah Beek. Um, and it is, I don't want to give the secret, this doesn't give the secrets away, but at the end of it, she asks a series of questions and because of the journey she's taken you on, I you can hear or feel your soul speak. It was, it had a profound impact on my life and it's as if you can't, we can create all sorts of stories in our mind about, oh, is that the right job for me? Well, not really, but I need the money to pay the mortgage or is that the right relationship for me? Well, there's all these beautiful things about that person and then there's all this other stuff that's really challenging and it really is not doesn't really match with my value system. So we have all the, that's what we do in our head. But then at the end of this book, it's like she has a way to ask your soul and it's the clarity when she poses these questions and you're just like, it's that. It's that, it's that. There's no hesitation. You just know. And it showed me or reminded me that we all of us have a, a true knowing inside of us of who we are and, and the answers to those questions. We know. We just, it gets blurred because we might want to please people or it gets blurred by all these stories we tell ourselves. So I found that book profound. Uh, I've I've never heard of that one. So I will be ordering it after this podcast. So that's, um, and I love how you didn't even doubt. I mean, you were like, you had that right there. That was awesome. Okay. Last question. If you had one message, you can get into every person's brain and really help them see clearly on a daily basis. What would that message be? to live life in touch with how precious it is, to live life in touch with how precious they are and to treat themselves accordingly. Because if you were truly in touch with how precious you are, you would never do half the things you do. Mm. So if we could live more of our life in touch with, yeah, how precious life is and how precious we are and then treat ourselves accordingly, the ripple effect of that in the world would be extraordinary. Oh, I love that. You know, there we we put out a lot of content on our platform. I have a YouTube channel. I've written four books. And one of the things that I've acknowledged about putting content out is that sometimes it's not the words that people are saying, but the energy and the heart space behind those words that people resonate with. And I just, again, want to thank you because as I'm talking to you, I'm like, this is why I love the book, because the author behind the words has such a huge mission 
mission and such a huge heart. So again, I just, it it was a game changer for me. So um, at a time when I really needed to hear what you said and you said it in a language that my intellectual brain could hear. So I just, I can't thank you enough for uh, writing it and letting me pick your brain today. Mindy, it's such an honor. And honestly, you've really touched my heart. I've had water, I have water in my eyes right now. From, from your words and thank you. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really and, very touching. Thank you. And I want you to know that I, I hear your mission and I'm amplifying it. I'm, I'm there with you trying to get this information out to women. So I, we're more powerful. The more women we gather and shout this from the rooftops, the more powerful we are. Yes. So thank you for how much you care and for sharing yeah. all Oh, thank thank you. you. And how do people find you? Because I hope that they're going to not only rush out and get your book, but Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go order the other 12 or other 11. How do people find you so they can interact with you more? You're lovely. My website is drlibby.com. So D-R-L-I-B-B-Y.com. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Libby and Facebook is Dr. Libby Live. Uh, I have, I run online courses uh, I, w- I will run in-person events again one day uh, and I've written books and I have a plant-based supplement company called BioBlend. So yeah, I feel very fortunate to do the education I do in the world. So yeah, thank yeah. you. Hey, Resetters, I just want to start off by saying thank you so much for all your wonderful reviews and those of you that have left me comments on iTunes. I just greatly appreciate your thoughtfulness and how much you guys are enjoying these episodes. And it it seems like you're enjoying them as much as I am enjoying doing them. One of the things that I've learned in just interacting with so many people is that we've really lost the art of deep conversation. And for me, the Resetter Podcast stands for having meaningful conversations with people who are thinking about health, about life, about mindset in a way that we may not be getting on social media or in mainstream media. And so I just want to say, give you guys a shout out and just say thank you for participating in this process with me. Because as much as I absolutely love delivering the information to you, I love even more knowing that it's impacting your life. So please let us know if there's anything we can do to make this podcast more customized to you, to make it better. We are now officially in season two, and we are working to bring you the best conversations that health influencers have, that mindset changers can give, and to really deliver you something that you're not able to get anywhere else. So from the bottom of my heart, as I always say in my YouTube, from the bottom of my heart, I am deeply appreciative of you. I am deeply grateful to be on this journey with you and let's get healthy together.